0: Um, I think it's important that I at least spend a couple of moments, hopefully not overdoing it, but just enough to get us fresh with what is the fear of the Lord? What are we talking about? And again, for those who have not been here, one of the reasons we're in the book of Proverbs is the book of Proverbs is filled with practical instruction on how to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And it gets into the very hard, everyday, I believe, situations that we are dealing with as human beings and tries to give us instruction, not tries, but does give us instruction on how to live so we live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And after we did our general stuff, the first topic we came to was the fear of the Lord. And we were dealing with several topics as we uh, go through Proverbs. Proverbs. And one of the things, and I want to remind us of that because of the way I study, to be honest with you, but also probably because of the way you study. You can gain benefit by taking the words fear and the Lord separately and doing that, and there's no question, that is not what I'm trying to say. But it is intended, I believe, in Scripture clearly to be taken as a unit, the fear of the Lord, just as it is presented in Scripture. And so when we study it, while we look to understand it, we need to remember that it is a unit. Don't just study the word fear, and don't just study the word Lord, and then try to put all your conclusions on those two together. You may have some things that are overlapping, but it is intended by God to be a unit. I would get, just take for a moment to go back to Proverbs chapter 1 with you, so let's go there, just to verse 7. I won't go through those first six verses again. Those are on tape, I hope. Somebody asked me on that, and I'll be honest with you, I don't check it myself, but I know it was about a month ago, and one of the missionaries, now that Dave brought that up, asked if on the subject of Proverbs we had that on the online or on disk, and I'll be honest, I don't know. I hope we do. We're supposed to be recording all these things and whatever, but um, it was encouraging to hear some people at least are trying to go back and listen and and get instruction. But in verse 7, that was our starting point we saw the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction so even as the book opened itself up it pointed out that that is the starting point so the reason we're on the fear of the Lord and trying to spend a little longer on that it's the starting point for everything and we did learn in chapter one that the fear of the Lord is the starting point for knowledge that is gaining information it is also the starting point for wisdom that is being skillful being able to take that knowledge and being skillful in its use and instruction Uh, so all of that came in the very first chapter if we want to know what the fear of the lord is it's where everything begins uh... you can be the smartest person in the world uh... intellectually not the smartest person in the world and still be walking in the fear of the lord uh... if you know who he is and You understand him, uh, it goes a lot, it will go a lot further in your life, certainly in pleasing the creator of the universe. We defined it, and again, that's important with the definition, with two aspects to it. And I want to remind you of that even as we're going through what does it look like? Well, we saw there are two aspects to the way this is used as we looked at some examples of it. And the first part of it is to stand in awe. To have the fear of the Lord is to stand in awe, reverence, and respect. To stand in awe, reverence, and respect for the person of God and his position. In other words, if we have the fear of the Lord, it is we look at who he is, and it just causes us to stand in awe. A simple way of putting it is we're finite, he's infinite. We're part of the creation, he's the creator. That alone, because of that position, ought to make us stand back and stand in awe. And that is part of what is involved in the fear of the Lord. But there is also a second aspect to it. We just sang a song, and I really enjoyed it as we were singing it. Uh, I try to pay attention to the words when I sing. But it was dealing uh, with the fact that he is our friend. And uh, he calls us that but he's also our king in in one of the songs that we sang. And the other aspect of the fear of the Lord is to have a dread, to actually literally have a fear in the sense of fright, of what? Of disobeying him. And you will find that is consistent as you go through scripture. When you talk of truly the fear of the Lord, both of those aspects are there. It's an off of the position, and it is also something where we dread or fear wanting to disobey Him. Why? Because of His supreme position. And I do think the Lord has given us the family over and over again in Scripture, just like He does the husband and wife relationship is a picture of the church and Christ's relationship. I think in a family we can see that because a parent to a child, uh, that changes sometimes as the years go on because of things and, Hopefully it's changing in a progressive, good way, but sometimes it changes in a progressively bad way. But when a child, especially young child, has a parent, they have that for them. They have an awe because they're mom and dad. And kind of a side trip, it just hit me again. You've heard, some of you have heard me say this before, don't ever lose that with your children. And don't ever take that away from somebody else. That is something, you are their mom and dad. No one, I don't care what happens in life. I had a stepfather. My mom and dad will always be my mom and dad. Saved or unsaved, good or bad, scripturally. Don't ever lose that. You know, the concept of, you know, I would rather have my 40, almost 40-year-old daughter. She's 39, uh, I think. No, can't be. I've only been married 35. Help me. 34? 38. I don't know. We've been married 39 years. Okay. The guy was close. But I would rather have her say to me, Dad, than Dan. Anybody can call me Dan. And you know what? That's pride. You say, that's right, Pat. No, no. It's pride saying I want to be called Dan. Why? Because you don't want to admit how old you are. And you don't want to admit many times. And maybe that's not the case with everybody, but I've seen it. I've seen it in our own families and so forth. Don't lose that. And I bring that back because there's a reverence for that position. And there's also a fear when the child's young. I don't want to disobey mom and dad. And that is good. And we should have that with the Lord. I will always cherish the fact that I am a child of God. Cherish the fact that Jesus calls me friend. But I hope I never cross that line of losing personally, that's me speaking right now, personally that awe for who he is and the awe of wanting to obey him because of his position. Both of those things must be taken together when we're dealing with the fear of the Lord. We notice that everyone is to fear the Lord, whether it's saved or unsaved. We are called to do that. And I want to remind you of this one aspect. Turn to one more verse before we really get going and then I'll summarize the section we're in. But Proverbs 23, for just a moment, Proverbs 23, again, because we've been so long away from it, verse 17, it says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live, or be in, the fear of the Lord. How often? Always. Always. And if you really want to take that word out to its literal meaning, it means all day long. And I think that's important. So when are we to fear the Lord? When we come together like this, right? Yes. Uh, When I'm working. Yes. So that's my public life or my work life. How about when we're out in public? Yes. How about my private life? Yes. Family life? Yes. You got the picture. Don't forget that. We looked at that last time. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, God calls us all day long that we're to walk in awe of who God is. We should be walking in awe of the fact that he saved us and we belong to him and we don't want to disobey him. But what does it look like? And uh, in case you forgot, I did mention that I believe every professing Christian is going to want to say that he walks in the fear of the Lord that he fears the Lord, or she fears the Lord, of course. Well, but what does it look like in a practical sense? And I think the book of Proverbs is filled with that. I did cover six, and I'm only going to mention them to you in case you weren't here, and then I'll pick it up where we are tonight as I attempt to try to finish. What does it look like? What does the book of Proverbs present to us will look like it? Why? So that I can ask myself, not so that I can look out in the audience and say, I want to know whether fanny's walking in the fear of the Lord. That's her responsibility before God. I can tell by using these steps, but it's really designed to help us look. Can I really say I'm walking in the fear of the Lord? Well, what do we already know? We notice, number one, if we're walking in the fear of the Lord, we must know him. That's where it begins. It begins with the knowledge of God. Number two, we must have confidence. That's ultimately where our confidence rests. Not in the world, not in man, not in self, not in anyone else, but our confidence rests in the Lord. Third, this I thought was very practical, that we know the fear of the Lord looks like this. It is satisfied or content in life, and we specifically saw in scriptures, anybody remembers? So that at night, what can happen? Who remembers? Somebody's saying it, but I can't catch you. So you can sleep. There's a challenge. That's practical. What it says is if you're in the fear of the Lord, you will not have a problem sleeping at night. Now, we qualify that in that we know that if there's physical ailment or something, that's not what it's dealing with. But it deal, dealt with in the context, it is satisfied with life. It's not losing sleep over the fact that something went wrong, or the economy's falling apart, or I don't know whether I'm going to sell my house, or I just lost my job. Those things are real, and they affect our emotions. But to know whether or not you're walking in the fear of the Lord, it's also able to turn around and say, yes, but in those circumstances, I'm satisfied. That's what Paul, That's why Paul was able to say that in the New Testament. I'm able to, not, uh, to be content with whether I have a lot or whether I have a little because I can do all things through Christ. That's just the one that strengthens me. And yet that basically was an illustration of the fear of the Lord. So is that true? Uh, loves the truth, even if it's difficult. When the truth is given by, let's say you're in a conversation with somebody, and they correct you by talking the truth, and it hits you. Are you able to love the truth even when it's difficult and it goes against what you feel is correct? When you see that that's really the truth, that's a test of whether you're walking in the fear of the Lord. Whether I am receptive to the word. Many of us would say immediately, of course we're receptive to the word until it gets practical, until it affects my family, until it affects me. And the last one that we looked at is, if you want to know if you're walking in the fear of the Lord, it is when we are walking with integrity, when we are not deceptive, when our private life and our public life are very consistent. So we noticed those six points already. And I've only spent time in mentioning them because we looked at some scripture on them. So we pick it up with this. What is number seven, and this is the way I'd give it to you. Number seven, what does the fear of the Lord look like? That's our first verse tonight. Go back to Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 16. This is where we pick it up and we move forward. And I'll put it to you this way. It's when we truly put our treasures in heavenly things. We put our treasure, Now I'm talking about the heart right now, in heavenly things. And in Proverbs 15 and verse 16, that's what it says. Better a little with the fear of the Lord. Now that is not promoting poverty, by the way. There's much scripture that talks about the fact that the Lord has given us the ability to earn and also that he provides. Don't ever, if you are in contact with people that are billionaires, and I don't think too many of us are in contact with people like that. Don't be upset about that at all. It's very possible that that person's a Christian, and God's blessed them for whatever reason. There's nothing wrong with money. That is not it. The problem is, you know, in the New Testament, it's very consistent. It's the love of money. It's the relying on that, or it's really setting your treasure. But you'll notice, remember some of the parallelism that we talked about. You look at in verse 16. It's better to have little than what? Than great treasure and, and turmoil with it. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes fully expands on what that means, it really does, because Boss basically Solomon said, the more you have, the more you will lose sleep, you'll worry about it. Uh, I'll be frank with you, uh, I have very, very little put away, and only not because I don't want to, it's just a reality of life. Uh, but some of it is relying upon the stock market. You know what? I don't lose a bit of sleep whether that goes up or down. That's the truth. If it goes and it's gone, it's gone. If it's still there, it's still there. And that's, that's really the way we have to look at it. Uh, biting our nails over it isn't going to change the thing. And that the whole point is you're better off if you're walking in the fear of the Lord and you have only a little bit. And again, he's not saying that he wants poverty, but if that's your condition, as long as you're walking in fear of the Lord. Why? It's because where the treasure is. The great treasure of this world, and we know that from other scriptures, is not what we should be looking for. Go back to chapter 2. Remember this verse? Chapter 2. Was that the one I wanted? Nope, that wasn't the one I wanted. I have verse 24, and there is no 24. Oh, yes, there is. No, there isn't. Hold on. Okay, I, again, copied down my cross-reference wrong. Sorry on that. But there was another verse that we took uh, looked at to go into the Word of God is where we really want to go and, and dig for that. That's where the treasure is found, and it's in the things of God. It might have been in chapter 1. Uh, but at any rate, let's not go looking for it. The point is, where is our treasure? Is our affections, is our heart on things above? If it is, that's an indication that really we're walking in the fear of the Lord, because we know that this is temporary. The next one is pretty obvious. Let's go to Proverbs 15 again, and let's look just a little bit further down in Proverbs 15, point number eight. If I want to know if I've got the fear of the Lord, go down to verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction For wisdom and before honor comes humility. Well, we already learned a little bit about instruction and wisdom. What's he dealing with here? If you want to have honor, it's humility. And you will see very consistently with humility is the fear of the Lord. If someone's proud, they are not walking in that particular area anyway in the fear of the Lord. Uh, For example, compare that to Proverbs 22. Let's turn there. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Okay, that's what the Lord's talking What type of riches is it talking about? Not necessarily this world's riches, but honor. And there's places in the book of Proverbs that says, when we are humble, the Lord will lift us up. We find that also in the New Testament. Humility is a, an aspect, and that's not a false humility, but a true humility. One that is, I think, the simplest thing for humility to test ourselves that I can remember um, hearing about, and I think it's true, and that is our teachableness. Are we teachable? And to be quite frank, the older we get, the harder it is to teach us. Let's be honest. Do we remain teachable with our children? Do we remain teachable with others when we get so set in our ways, especially if we're put in a lot of time even studying on something? and we think we have the answers. Are we still teachable, that we could be wrong? Are we willing to listen? Okay, that is an indication of whether we're walking in the fear of the Lord. Are we able to walk humbly? Number eight. Number nine, okay, submits to government authority. Go with me to Proverbs 24. Here's a tough one that's practical. Proverbs 24, verse 21, my son, fear the Lord and the king, do not associate, so the fear of the Lord is directly in there, is also in fear of the king, do not associate with those who are given to change, now I don't want you to misunderstand that last part of the verse, does that mean change is bad, see that, I'm older, I'm setting my ways, no, when you look at it a little closer that concept of subject to change had the idea of rebellion and it was dealing with overthrowing it is specifically dealing with the concept that i faced in the seventies and sixties and it was that type of rebellion against authority and seeking to overthrow but the fear of the lord does walk in submission to the king now you say we don't have a king that's great we have a president we have governors we have town officials You say, well, I think they're not too good. Well, change it. You got to vote. Well, we can't change it. The Lord's over it, yes. What happens if someone gets in power that you disagree with? Submit. Where do you draw the line, Pastor Dan? When they ask you to do something contrary to the word of God that's specifically contrary. But we have this tremendous responsibility. Join with me to the New Testament on this one, First Peter chapter 4. I just wanted to spend a minute on this one because I think while we have freedom in this government and while there's an election year, 1st uh, Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, I said 4, chapter 1. I think this is a practical thing, even how we respect our authorities. But here in First Peter chapter 1, I first wanted to go um, to verse 17 And there it says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Well, that's interesting. Now go to chapter 2 of the same book and look at verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and then he says, honor the king. Honor the king. That's great. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. You say, now that's talking about a slave relationship. And uh, it says honor the king. It doesn't really say uh, that we're to fear him. No, the fear of God is evidenced by the way we treat leaders. Go to Romans 13. Romans 13. What am I saying to you here? I believe is an evidence of fearing the Lord. Submission to the government. You may not like a particular president. I may not like a particular president or governor or other town official, but I still need to remember Romans 13 every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. That's the direct command of God. So if I'm walking in the fear of the Lord, I am also to honor the king. I am also to fear the king, according to Proverbs. Why do I do that? He tells you. For there is no authority except from God. You mean President Obama has been allowed to be the authority by God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And those which exist are established by God. The Old Testament is filled with that. He raises them up. He puts them down. Therefore, whoever resists authority, watch this, has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Why? For rulers are not the cause for fear for good behavior. In other words, if you're doing what's right, you don't have to worry, but for evil. Now, let me just also say as a side trip here, very quickly, that um, that doesn't mean that government won't be evil, or that they won't make bad choices. That's not what it's dealing with. It's dealing with our responsibility. And by the time you get down to verse 6, I think it is, or is it 7? No, it starts in 6, where it talks about taxes, and then render to all they due in verse 7. Why? For rulers are the servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. And so it becomes very practical. That is why, you've, I know you've, some of you have heard me say this before, but not just because of my accounting background, I will never be able to line up unless the Lord changes something drastic in my thinking, according to scripture, how a Christian can turn around and say that I'm not going to pay taxes because it's unconstitutional and all this stuff and all that. When the simple thing of scripture, the Lord never dealt with that. Was it scriptural for Caesar to have taxes? The Lord just simply said, go down and get the fish and pay him the tax. What do I give him? Hey, look at the inscription. That sees this picture, give it to him. That's not heavenly treasure. Don't worry about that. Pay your taxes. He wasn't we get worried about stuff like that. The bottom line is, submission to government authorities is an evidence that you're walking in the fear of God. It's that practical. It's not only treasures in heaven, it's not only being humble, but it's also even authority of the government. Here's another tough one. Let's go back to Proverbs 23, number 10. Proverbs 23. I think this stuff is practical. How about verse 17? Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord. There it is always. You already read that passage in. Yeah. Did you see the first half of the verse? What does it say? Don't envy sinners. Oh, I just wish I had a house like that. Boy, see that person's lawn? I wish my lawn was like that. Oh, that I could be the president of the company. Oh, that I could have that privilege given to me. What is that? That's envying sinners. What it is? It's very practical. And it doesn't mean that you don't strive. There's the balance. And we need to teach our young people that. I teach the young people that all the time. In fact, it, it becomes a challenge even uh, because of that. Because I, I'll tell them, do everything you got to do with all of your might. I don't care if you're playing a basketball game. I don't care if you're swimming. I don't care if you're playing uh, checkers. I don't care if you're reading. I don't care if you're talking to somebody. Do everything with all your might and your ability. And be skillful in what you do to the best ability that you can be. We should train our people that way, I believe. But don't go envying sinners. You see? If someone's got that position and you didn't get it, our tendency to think is, well, yeah. Well, I want to be practical about it. How about we just went through the school year and awards were given out. That's a challenge to young people. Yes. If they get that award, I should have got that one. Really? That's not walking in a fair Lord. That's practical. Yeah, see, they made that person a deacon. Why aren't they looking at me? Hmm. That Sunday school director? Now you're saying sinners passed it in. These are people that are believers, but it's still envying. And this is really dealing with the fact that we're not to envy people who don't know the Lord. And if the Lord wishes them success, so what? Be a testimony to them. There's gonna come a time in which they see that position, in which they see that mansion, in which they see that money, in which they see that privilege, is not going to satisfy. And that's gonna be your opportunity. But not if they see that you've been envying everything about them, and wanting to be like them. That's a real practical test. Always be in the fear of the Lord. Don't let your heart, notice that, the heart get carried away, with envying people who do not know God. Number 11, I think, is a tough one. Let's go to Proverbs 3. You say, I thought these others were tough. They are. And if they're not to you, I guess you don't have the same challenge as I do. Chapter 3 of Proverbs, how about verse 7? Do not be wise in your own eyes, you say, obviously. Well, wait a minute now. Let's look at the rest of the verse. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What does the fear of the Lord do? Number 11, it departs from evil. It departs from evil. And do you know what the evil is that's being spoken of in verse 7? How many can tell me? Somebody can tell me. What is it? Pride. What's the parallelism? Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. What evil? Do not be wise in your own eyes. It's pride. Pride is evil. Do we all have it? Yeah, sometimes we do. But we're to depart from evil. We're to run away from it. You don't get on the fence with evil. You've probably heard it illustrated by better teachers. I know I've heard it, but I I don't even remember who I heard it from, but I never forgot it. I would never, well, I can remember one moment to even be specific. I remember being down in California and looking at a beautiful area in which my wife would probably remember it now, but we were looking over the edge and it was straight down off the cliff and Leanne was the only person that was with us at the time in our family because the others had grown. She was young. I wouldn't even let her get near the edge. There wasn't any way I was going to let her, oh, play around, you've freedom. Just go on, yeah, maybe, hopefully you don't slip. That's a fool. What, is, what does the fear of the Lord do? It drives you away from evil as far as I can can get. Look at chapter sixteen. I believe this is one of the true tests that's a challenge to every believer practically. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And okay, what? By the fear of the Lord, one what? Keeps away from He keeps away from it. Keeps away from what? Evil. When we pursue evil, and we all do at times, what can I say to myself? I'm not walking in the fear of the Lord. I get overtaken by the evil. When I depart from it, that's an evidence. That's the way it works. That's what we need to teach our children. You know what, if you teach them this, you don't have to be with them 24-7. And when they become teens, Will they do some things? They probably will. Okay? But you drill this into them, and they will remember it. So that when they have to make that decision as a young person, remember, if you're walking in the fear of the Lord, you'll depart from evil. You won't have to spell out what that evil is to them. They will know in the moment, danger sign. If I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord, I don't need my mom or dad here. Danger I'm going to get away. That's the way to tra- train your children. The practicality of the fear of the Lord is to get away from it. Look at Job 28:28. 28, 28. I thought that'd be an appropriate verse to look at on this particular point. Job 28:28. 28, 28. This is Job, man, he ran into a lot of difficulties, we know that. And in chapter 28, verse 28, here's what was said. And to man, he said, referring to God, behold, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. That's where wisdom comes from. Watch. It goes together with it in the Hebrew parallelism. And to depart from evil, yep, that's understanding. That's wisdom. That's where it is. Where? Departing from evil. Job understood that probably being one of the oldest books, if not the oldest, in the Bible. So what does it do? It departs from evil. Let me give you two more, and then we'll close for tonight. And then one thing I want, one more thing I want to do on the fear of the Lord. Not only to talk about the fear of the Lord and then say, how, what does it look like, but I'd like to give you some examples from Scripture because there's an abundance of them, and we won't go through all that are in Scripture. But I want you to see... Because in the context of people doing certain things, the Lord said it was the fear of the Lord that kept them from doing what they did, or by doing what they did. But let's look at two more under this category. It not only flees from evil, here's the toughie. Go with me to Proverbs 8. Look at verse 13. It's one thing to turn away from evil. It's another one for this. The fear of the Lord is to do what? Mark it down. It is to hate evil. And what is the evil? How does he define the evil? (laughs) Pride, arrogance, the evil way, perverse mouth. I hate it. In other words, be practical. I hate lying. When someone lies, that's not the fear of the Lord. When someone gossips, you're not walking in the fear of the Lord. Someone's arrogant, I'm the best, whatever it is. That's not the fear of the Lord. And you know what? That doesn't hate evil. And think about that. It's, not, it's one thing to turn away from it. Here's an opportunity. But isn't it honestly true that in some of our thinking, sometimes we kind of turn things and say, "Yeah, I know I shouldn't. We don't hate it. We try to reason why we can do it. Or why it's okay. The Lord Jesus Christ never even questioned it. He, when he saw evil, he hated it. It's to hate the things that God hates. It's to love the things that God loves, to put it very simple. And you will find that in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is when I love what God loves and I hate what He hates. And isn't it interesting? Doesn't the book of Proverbs list some things that He hates? <clears throat> One of which, Sunday mornings, is sowing discord among the brethren? <laughs> That's what He says. I hate it. If I'm a part of that, I don't hate evil at all. Let me give you one more. Proverbs 31. And these are just some things to want to know in my life. Am I fearing the Lord right now? Am I walking in the fear of the Lord? What are some things that I can practically look at? Because the book of Proverbs speaks about it. I cannot apply this one to me, and some of you cannot either. I put it this way. It is a woman who focuses in on true character and her God-given relationships. Catch that one, ladies. The fear of the Lord in a woman is evidenced by who she sets her affection on. Does she set it on the true character of God that he would have in a woman's life and her proper relationships? In Proverbs 31, just to go to verse 30 for a minute, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful. In fact, we admire beauty. And charm, there's nothing wrong with it, but it can be deceitful. The contrast to that is a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, what is the woman that fears the Lord? I'm not going to expound from verse 10 forward for you, but I will say this. It starts off in verse 10, an excellent wife. And what you will find, if you look at it carefully, and you can challenge me on it, look at it, you will find that she's interested in true character. She's not interested in just the appearance, and if you go through there, I believe you'll find this, that when I say the woman focuses on her God-given relationships, she is concerned about her husband first, not her. She's concerned about her husband's reputation. I'm talking about the family now. She's concerned about what her husband's involved in. She's then concerned about her children and how she cares for them, and what they know, and how they are provided for. She's very industrious. Anyone that tells me that a woman's not supposed to work doesn't know this passage. Or anyone that says that a housewife or someone that's home doesn't work, you don't know much. I've watched it with six children. My wife works 20 times harder than I work. And then she got to put up with me when I get home. But what is it centered on? And the first one I left off purposely, not because it goes at the end, but it goes first. You will look at verses 10 through 31, and you'll find that she's concerned about her God-given relationship to him. She's submissive and she does that for her husband, and she cares for her children because she does fear God, because she does love God. That's why she's doing it. She's doing it because she loves God, and she understands what true character is, and she understands what her relationship should be to God, to her spouse, and to her children. And that is her priority. And I believe that that is one that shows an evidence in a woman's life that I don't think a man can look at. There's things that we need to look at in our leadership. But that one's specifically mentioned in the book of Proverbs. And praise the Lord. If you have a wife who is an excellent wife, well, how do I know if she's excellent? Does she fear the Lord? Has she got her priorities right? Then she's walking in the fear of the Lord. And you got to be thankful for your wife, husbands, every day. It's not only true that I, I want you to know this as a pastor, it's not only true that I praise God, not only sometimes publicly, but even privately for my own wife. I'll be honest with you. I praise God for the many wives of this church. Husbands, we have a number of wives that really have got it right. And we ought to be thankful for that. We should. And if there's one thing that I wanted to get into my children's lives, especially my sons, that was my heart's desire, is, do you want to look for a woman? Look for someone that fears God. The rest will take care of itself. Look for someone that walks in the fear of God. So what does it look like? Well, these are just some of the things. Maybe you'll find others. I try to be pretty exhaustive and then try to trim it down a little bit Uh, But I think these are 13 aspects that I saw just in the book of Proverbs alone that points out what it looks like. Pride, uh, not having pride, uh, being submissive to authorities, not envying sinners, departing from evil, all the positives that we saw the first time. Some of those things are what we should look for in our life. Uh, How well can I sleep even at night? Uh, What am I thinking about? And do I walk with integrity? Those are the type of things that will tell us whether we're walking in the fear of the Lord. Lord willing, next time I would like to look just at one other thing on this subject, be only because it's helpful to me. There are a number of biblical examples that are in Scripture that show us where God says it was because of the fear of the Lord that they did this or they didn't do that. And I think if we see it, at least for me, it works it out a little bit. It helps me to visualize what the Lord's saying. So that fear of the Lord isn't just so vague. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I pray that this will be helpful in my own life. Helpful in our, our lives individually. That we would not just be looking at someone else. But Father, help us to be honest. How much do we really hate sin? <clears throat> How much do we hate evil? How much do we depart from it? How often do we get concerned about the treasures of this world, how often are we submissive to government when they do things that are contrary to what we feel they even should do with decisions. Father, it's not easy in the practical aspects when we struggle with trying to be true to our standards, being true to who we are, and at the same time being true to what the word calls for, but I pray that you'd help us to walk humbly with our God. I pray that you'd help us to walk in the fear of the Lord and be able to recognize it not for arrogance, not for pride in our own life, but in joy in knowing that, Father, we're pleasing to you when we walk in the fear of the Lord and help us to depend upon you to reward us accordingly. Thank you for this time and pray you give us guidance now as we leave this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name.